0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Stephen Fraser and Life of Faith Bible Church, an outreach dedicated to helping you triumph in every area of life. Now here's Pastor Fraser with today's message. We are
1: in a series on the book of Jude, so we're going to continue tonight ...in that series. So, if you got your Bible, let's go back to the back of the Bible, to the book of Jude. Uh, We'll do a a quick review. Look at verse 1, where he says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved... In Jesus Christ, notice those three things, called, sanctified, preserved. Are you called? Because if you're not, this isn't for you, right? This is who he's writing to. He says he's writing to those who are called. Well, you know, you should do a little study on the word called. Get over there in the New Testament and just see all the places that the word called Shows up and see what you have been called to. For one, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I think it's verse 3, he says you're called to be saints. Could be verse 2. You're called to be saints. That's what you're called to be. I think it's verse 9 that says that you are called into the fellowship of God's Son, Jesus. You are called to fellowship with Jesus. That's your calling. Are you called? Yes. Are you sanctified? What does that mean? Set apart. Set apart from the dirty things of this world, all the evil things of this world, all the wicked things of this world. We're not involved in it. We're not pursuing it. We're not pursuing what other people are pursuing for fun. Remember, we don't have to pursue what they pursue for fun because, first of all, to us, it's not fun. It's bondage. And, uh, and we're fun, right? We're fun because we're one with the sun. We're in fellowship with the Son of God. We're in fellowship with Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in His presence is fullness of joy, fullness of fun, and pleasures forevermore that don't stop, that don't wear out. That's the kind of fun you and I are engaged in all the time through the fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're sanctified. We're set apart from all the evil things of this world and then preserved, preserved Set apart, preserved, protected, spirit, soul, and body. Every part of our life is full of the preservative of the Holy Spirit. He is preserving us. We're not uh, corroding. We're not falling apart. We're not deteriorating. We're going from strength to strength, faith to faith. Glory to glory. So, you are the called, you are the sanctified, and you are the preserved. So, we know he's talking to you tonight through this book of Jude. And then, we saw that uh, in verse 3, that we need to contend earnestly for the faith. Verse 4, we talked about the difference between God's grace and licentiousness. Big difference. A lot of people are confused about God's grace, but thank God you and I aren't. Verse 5, we looked at the importance of reminding ourselves of what we once knew. You know, I don't mind hearing some of the same things over and over again. We need to be reminded of the things that God has showed us. We need to put ourselves in remembrance regularly. Of the things that God has spoken to us in times past. Because in verse 6 we saw that we can lose what we once had. Including our salvation. And you really don't lose it. You leave it. You leave it. You trade it in for something else. For something of course inferior. Something of this world. People do it. People have done it in great numbers. They have lost the faith. They have turned away from the Lord. We're going to make sure we're not going to lose what we have received from God. We're going to keep building on all the revelation, all the things that God has taught us, all the things He has shown us, all the things that we have received from Him. We're just going to keep on receiving, while not forgetting all the good things He's already done for us. And one of the ways we keep ourselves from forgetting is uh, keep ourselves from forgetting is being thankful. Being thankful, thanking God for what He's done for us. And then we'll be able to receive even more because you don't get any more than you're thankful for. So, if you want to get more from God, then you need to be being more thankful. Then in verse 7, we saw that one of the greatest causes of people turning away and turning away from the Lord and going to hell is sexual sins sexual immorality and in fact I think it was in the beginning of 2013 or 14 I did a series entitled overcoming a Sex Crave Society I believe is the title of it and uh, and we have it here and you can go online and order that our office is open we'll ship it out to you if you put your order in uh, you can go to our product page on our home on our uh, Website at lofbc.org. Very, very powerful, powerful message for the time that we are in. We are living in a sex crazed society for sure. And then in verse 8, we talked about the filthy images that people are full of filthy images. And, uh, and I'll probably come back to that because there's just some things the other day while I was praying that I had gotten. And I want to share them with you concerning these filthy images that uh, verse 8 talks about. And then we also talked about in verse 9 and 10, the difference between rebuking and reviling rulers. We need to know that difference. In, in fact, today, I just finished writing an article that I might add as a chapter to my um, revised How to Pray for the Governing Authorities book. But I just, just did an article. Like I said, it could be a chapter in that book that I, I might add to it. Uh, it's called Lawless Leaders. And I just did that today because we need to, the church needs to get a revelation. How do we handle leaders that are lawless? Do we submit to them? Do we obey them like we would a good leader? A leader that obeys the laws of the land himself? Or do we oppose them? What do we do? What does the Bible say? Christians need to get that one settled. So that's why I did the article, and we'll be getting that that out to you very, very soon. And then in verse 11, we talked about the way of Cain, the error of Balaam, and the rebellion of Korah. We covered all of them. And again, I got some more things about Balaam just this past week as I was praying. Verse 12, we talked about churchy people who don't fear God. There's a lot of folks that are a part of church, but they don't have the fear of God. And, uh, and that's we'll pick it up here, verse 12. This is, this is where we left off last time. It says, these are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They're not serving the Lord. They might try to pretend they are, but they're not. They are clouds without water. Remember, we talked about Proverbs chapter 25, verse 14, where it says, whoever falsely boasts of giving is like... Clouds and wind without rain. In other words, they try to act like they're spiritual, but they don't put their money where their mouth is. They're pretenders. We looked at Ananias and Sapphira from Acts chapter 5. And how they pretended to give this big offering, all the proceeds of the land that they had sold. They were giving it all to the church, but they weren't. They were holding part of it back, and it brought immediately, immediate judgment upon them. God really frowned upon, he really frowns upon that. And he did that to them, not only for them, but also for you and I to learn from their example. Don't play around with offerings. Your tithes and offerings are holy. They are sacred. It is not something to play games with and try to use to impress other people or try to control other people with your money or try to earn something from God with your money. That's not how it works. It's something very holy that we bring to God and we worship Him with it for all that He has already done for us and what He is doing in our life. So we want to be very honorable When it comes to the offerings of God. So they are spots in your love feast. They feast with you without fear. Serving only themselves. They are clouds without water. Carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees without fruit. Twice dead. Pulled up by the roots. Again these are some pretty nasty folks. I mean he's really illustrating them. In a very severe way. But remember. These are real people that he's talking about. That are around us in the world all the time. And they like to creep into churches. They like to get into churches. So we have to be aware of them. That's why he's writing about this. They're twice dead, pulled up by the roots. I mean, spiritually dead, he's talking about. And we need to be discerning. We need to recognize there's these kind of folks among us. We don't need to be paranoid. But we shouldn't be naive either. People get take, a lot of Christians get taken advantage of because they're just too, too naive. Not everybody is like you. Not everybody is really after Jesus for the right reasons. Not everybody is a real sincere worshiper of God. And we need to be aware of that. That's why he tells us here about it. Verse 13, they're raging waves of the sea. Raging waves of the sea. So on the outside, again, you know, Jesus talked about beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves can be pretty violent, don't you think? They can be ravenous, raging. Well, intense. He said there's people like that, but they don't come across that way. They might come across as little sheep. Right, it might come across as something lovely and nice. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So that people, you know, are, they, it's difficult to pick him off and recognize that's the devil. He doesn't walk around with a pitchfork and, and, his, and his horns showing, right? He comes as an angel of light. So his messengers do the same thing thing we got to realize one of the ways satan seeks to take advantage of people is through people he works through people and we need to be aware of that raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame they're not ashamed of their shame i mean they foam it up they lather up in shameful living shameful talk I mean, there's a lot of people in this generation, in, this, in the world today, that, man, they glory in their shame. He talks about that over in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18. It says, For many walk, of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. What's he talking about? He's talking about former Christians. Now they're enemies of the cross. The cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. That word shame them means embarrassing, disgraceful, dishonorable. Notice, they glory in disgrace. They glory in dishonor. They glory in things that they should be embarrassed about. You know, I remember one day I was in a certain place and there was some secular music going. And I'm I'm listening to to this song and I mean, the guy is an absolute pervert. But if I told you his name, you'd know it. Very, very popular, been around for years. People listened to him when I was a young teenager. And he's still out there, you know, he's still celebrated. They just think he's wonderful. And his songs are dirty and filthy and embarrassing to the average person. I mean, I thought to myself, when I was listening to the the words of the song, I thought, where is your mother? No, seriously, where is your mother? I mean... I mean, what happens if she hears your song? Are you gonna say, hey mom? Hey, listen to this great song I wrote. Mom, I want you to hear this great song I wrote. And it's got all these filthy, dirty lyrics. See, a lot of people don't think that far. You think about some of these actors and what they'll do on TV in the name of entertainment. And you just think, aren't you embarrassed? I mean, where is your mother? Where are your parents? Where are your friends? I mean, do you really want them to see you like this? Do you really want people to see you dressed that way? Are you not ashamed? Are you not embarrassed? But they're not. They glory in it. They glory in it. And we have to realize this is deranged. This is, this is not normal. Just because it's all around you all the time. These are deranged people. And just because they've chosen the most deranged people to be the stars, to be the ones that are put up in front of us all the time, that doesn't mean they're not deranged. That doesn't mean it's normal. I really think in order to qualify to be famous in the world today, you have to be possessed of the devil. You have to be deranged. And... When people think of a possessed person, they think of someone foaming at the mouth. Well, no. How about just foaming up their own shame? See? That's demon possession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. We see we've see that in the Bible. Where a person's possessed, they're on the ground, having something like a seizure, and they're foaming at the mouth. I've seen that also. And when... Demons have been cast out of people. But uh, it doesn't have to be foaming at the mouth for them to be possessed. Are they foaming up their own shame? Because that's what the Bible says in Jude 1.13. They foam up their own shame. They glory in it. They celebrate their embarrassing behavior. And they don't even blush. They don't even blush. You should blush. You should be embarrassed. You should be embarrassed. I think about some of these movies and I think about some of the women that sit there next to their husbands, their boyfriends, and um, watch some of these perverted women in the movies on the television screen. And I think, what kind of woman sits there and watches, lets her husband sit there and watch that kind of filthy stuff? And they don't even blush. They're not even embarrassed. They're not offended. You're not offended? Some half-naked or naked person is standing in front of you? You're not offended? I think that should be extremely disgusting and offensive to people so that they don't... I'm not going to sit here and watch that. You think I'm going to pay to go sit there and bring my family into that and have my family watch that and have my family listen to this stuff? Are you kidding me? What, are you crazy? You know, if people were just normal about it and didn't think that was normal then a lot of these guys, a lot of these movie producers, they'd go out of business. They would absolutely go out of business. And that was one of the things that uh, that I had seen when I was praying this week. I was praying for, of course, our government, president, leaders. But then I started praying for the people of our nation. And I began to ask God to forgive this nation for all the sexual immorality and all the perversion and all the things they have filled themselves up with through the television and through the movies. He's asking God, forgive this nation. Forgive us. Have mercy. Have mercy on this land. And as I was doing that, I began to think about Hollywood and how vile it is. And I began to speak some things and declare some things over all these movie producers who are taking their perverted mind and making movies so everybody could see what goes on in their minds. And that's what we were looking at back at verse 8, talking about those filthy images again. It says, uh, verse 8, Likewise, also these dreamers, defile the flesh Uh, the old king james says filthy dreamers filthy dreamers and when you look it up uh, one of the things it means is to be beguiled with sensual images well i didn't say this last time we talked about it but who beguiles people with sensual images more than movie producers And then that flowed over into verse 11. I got to think about verse 11, about the error of Balaam. The error of Balaam. And what was the error of Balaam? Revelations chapter 2, verse 14 says, But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine or teaching of Balaam who taught. Balaam taught something who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Notice, Balaam taught the children of Israel to commit sexual immorality. Taught them to commit sexual immorality. Who is teaching people to commit sexual immorality today? Well, for one, movie producers. They are literally teaching people... To commit sexual sins. Well, I got to thinking and praying and talking about that to the Lord. I thought, well, Balaam didn't escape judgment for that. So, Lord, I just lift up before you all these movie producers. That have taught America to commit sexual immorality. Father, I thank you. In the name of Jesus. And I prayed some things out. I prayed some things out concerning movie producers and Hollywood who are busy, busy, busy defiling people's minds with their filthy, filthy images. Now, of course, you don't have to watch any of it. And as a believer, a child of God, you should be appalled by it. As you're growing in God and becoming more heavenly minded, the things of this world should really be showing up to you what they really are. It really It really should be becoming more and more appalling to you. You should be seeing it, recognizing it for what it is. It is demonic. It is shameful. It is evil. And we don't want any part of it. And the more you clean yourself of it, the more you'll be glad and the more you'll want to be clean. They boast in their shameful deeds instead of being embarrassed. Well, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed for them. (laughs) Amen. And I'm too embarrassed to go near them. I'm too embarrassed to watch their filthy, filthy behavior. You know, I'm talking about all these various different celebrities, celebrities, the stars. And we'll go into the next verse of Jude here, uh, or actually not the next verse, the next part of verse 13. The next thing he says is they are wandering stars, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of... Of darkness forever. So, a lot of these filthy dreamers and these uh, celebrities, they are referred to as stars. But the real stars in the Bible are God's ministers, His messengers to the churches. You see that in the book of Revelation. He likens His messengers to the churches to stars. They're illustrated that way in the Word of God. And uh, we should be looking up to holy people, honorable people, people of faith. We should be imitating their faith, not looking up to and imitating filthy people, people that are doing appalling things. We're We're looking up at godly people, godly examples. There are stars according to the word of God. But now also messengers can be translated angel or angels. And so we know angels are also illustrated as stars. And Lucifer, who became Satan, he is a fallen angel. He's a fallen angel. And now, of course, he is a creature of darkness. So when the scripture says wandering stars... For whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. I had gotten into a, a study concerning evil and how evil originated in the world. How did Lucifer become evil? How did, what caused darkness to be created? And what happened was, is Lucifer, like a star, fell because of his pride But he didn't just fall from heaven, he fell inwardly, he collapsed, he imploded, because of his pride. And there's these uh, black holes out in space, that in some of them they wander through space. And there, there are these black holes, and I believe these things teach us, the creation teaches us spiritual lessons. And they're a type of fallen angels. Lucifer got into pride. He had all this glory on him, but he collapsed in pride. A third of the angels collapsed with him, and they created this vacuum that drew everything to them. The more you're into yourself, the more you draw people to yourself rather than to God. And that's the world we live in. The celebrities, the stars, everybody's about them And they draw people to themselves rather than drawing them to God, pointing them to God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what a Lucifer originally was doing. But when he got into himself, then he became this black hole that began to just draw everything, even a third of the angels, to himself just pulled everything into himself. And they say a black hole, that the the gravitational pull is so strong that it pulls even light into it. And light, when it goes into the black hole, it bends and gets twisted in there so that it no longer looks like light. It's something twisted or something perverted. And that's what Lucifer is. He is like this black hole and he draws people into himself and twists and perverts them so that they become like the black hole, twisting and distorting people around them, drawing them into themselves. So when we get saved, man, we don't want to be into ourselves like a black hole. We want to be like the sun. We want to give off light, give out We want to be a blessing. We're all about giving, 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 giving. And as we're giving, of course, we're receiving, but we receive with a heart to just want to be able to give, to give more. It doesn't stop with us. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. You're not it. I'm not it. We're just a part of it. We're a part of the kingdom of God, amen? We're a part of the body of Christ, and we want to lift up Jesus. We want to lift up God our Father. We don't want to exalt ourselves. We want God to exalt us as we're exalting Him so that as we're exalted, we're able to exalt Him even more before others. See, it's all about Him, and friend, that's where true fulfillment and happiness is. And that's why the world is never satisfied. They just keep taking and taking and taking, and they just don't get it. They're a black hole. And they can't ever get satisfied. They can never be fulfilled. No matter how much, no matter how much they accumulate, no matter how much they get in this life, it's never fulfilling. What is fulfilling is being yielded to God. And giving out and worshiping him and glorifying him. That's our joy. That is our happiness. Amen. Praising and exalting him. Amen. But these folks, just like the devil, are a bunch of black holes just wandering around. Disconnected from their life source. Disconnected from their creator. Disconnected from God. But you and I are connected to him. Verse 14, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam. So, you know, there was Adam, and then Adam had so-and-so, and Adam had so-and-so, and you get down to number seven, and it's Enoch. I mean, this is way back there, right? This is, this is all the way back in the beginning. I'm not sure Enoch might even have met Adam, because Adam lived almost a thousand years, you know, after he fell, uh, you know, into sin, And so maybe he knew his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, you know, Adam. Maybe he had met him for a little while. I've never done the math on it. Don't know for sure. But that's how far back Enoch goes. And look at this here. It says, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also. The people we're talking about right now saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Well, that hasn't happened yet. That's coming when Jesus returns. That's still in the future. But here, what is he talking about? He's talking about the last days. He's talking about the end times. Think about this. Think about how huge the end times is to God that God would have Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesying about it. Getting it recorded in the word. I mean, you and I are living in some intense, amazing times. And God has been prophesying all the way back to Enoch about the people of the day that we're living in right now. Why? So that we would be prepared To do what God has called us here to do at this time. I'm telling you, we got something glorious to accomplish. That's what it tells me. We got something glorious. God's got his sights fixed on the day and hour you and I are in right now. These last days. These are huge times. We got to get a hold of that and rise up and take it seriously. Take our being in the kingdom at this time seriously. This is an amazing, an amazing time. So he says, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which go- ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Everything everybody has ever said against God, it's recorded. God has heard the mocking. He has heard these things. Now, again, it might sound like we're being negative, you know. I mean, Jude, he's just going off, you know. I mean, he's just negative. No, Jude's helping us. He's preparing us. You know, we've just got to get real. We can't hide and pretend these things aren't there and say, well, these aren't nice things to talk about. We need to talk about them because it's the world we live in. It's the world we live in. And it's not. To be negative, it's to bring about a very positive result in your life and in my life, in the church's life. It's to bring about a very positive result. But one thing you see all through Jude here, the theme that you see through it is that it's constantly referring to primarily people in the church. People that have fallen away. People have gone into darkness. followed the example of Lucifer turned away from God. That's just like the common thread through this whole thing because as we go forward in the last days, it may get a little more challenging, maybe even a lot more challenging to be a Christian. To let your light shine without severe consequences, severe persecution. So we need all... The help we can get to stay faithful to the Lord, to stay in the boat with him, right? To stay committed to him, to not jump ship, to not get discouraged, to not allow ourselves to get drawn off course by all these other people that have gotten drawn off course and are a bunch of black holes in the name of Jesus, twisting and perverting scripture, twisting and perverting what the Christian life looks like, twisting and perverting uh, Christian culture. They're twisting and perverting things. We have to watch ourselves that we don't get pulled into it. And he's teaching us how to not To not get pulled into it. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 9. It says, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Watch this, verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Notice that. He's declaring the end from the beginning. That's who God is. He declares the end. He's been been talking about the end times from the beginning. Which means, again, these are some pretty serious times. He wouldn't talk about it that much. And it is. It's in everything. It's in what we call types and shadows of the Old Testament. All kinds of teachings uh, concerning the end times way, way back here in the Old Testament. So, God's getting us ready. God's getting us ready. And my my book, uh, The Truth Concerning the Great Tribulation, is being currently revised. And I hope to have that out to you real soon, too. I believe it's going to be... A real blessing to you. Again, it's a faith guide for those living in the final days. That was the purpose for writing it. And so, there's a lot of doctrines out there that uh, if people people listen to it, they won't be ready. They won't be ready for what's around the corner. They won't be ready to change those things. Now, when I say things around the corner, I'm not talking about being victims to things. I'm talking about evil things around the corner. But here they come. But we're ready. See, that's the difference. We're ready to say, no, 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 not now, and push it back. Push it back. Drive it back. See, we're going to be ready for what's coming around the corner. We're not going to be overcome by it, all right? So that's why that book has to get out there. And people have to study the book of Jude and the book of Revelation and get a hold of all these things that God is, uh, is trying to get us ready for. All right, Jude, verse 16. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Watch out for grumblers. Watch out for complaining. You don't want to be in that right there because these grumblers, these complainers, they're in really bad company. <laughs> They're over here with wandering stars and uh, and trees that are uh, twice dead and uh, uh, raging waves of the sea. And I mean, I mean, grumblers and complainers are in really bad company. So don't go there. That's that's the lesson. Watch yourself when you're whiny and you're complaining. Whining and complaining, whining and complaining. Whining. Remember, this is what got a lot of the Israelites killed out there in the wilderness. They came out of Egypt, and they just couldn't stop griping and complaining about stuff. I mean, God's trying to bless them and help them. They're unthankful. They're just whining and complaining. Man, I don't want to eat this anymore. I'm tired of this food. Where are we going to drink some water? I mean, my goodness, it's been two days. I mean I, 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 I. You don't want to be in the company of these people right here that are all backslidden, antichrist. You don't want to be that company. So judge yourself of grumbling and complaining. It's the beginning of something very bad. Shut it down. Shut it down. Because grumblers and complainers are what? Walking according to their own lusts. If you're whining and complaining, guess what? You're not walking in the spirit. You're not walking according to the word of God. You're not walking according to the love of God. If you're griping and complaining, then guess what? You're walking according to the lust of the flesh. That's what, that's what he says right here. You're walking according to your own lust. So judge it. Don't excuse yourself for it. There's never a good reason to whine and complain. Now, you could pray and go to God and talk to him about it. Get in faith, of course, when you talk to him about things. Don't just be a whiner and a complainer. They mouth great swelling words. They're great orators. Flattering people to gain advantage. And the Bible tells us over in Proverbs 29, verse 5, that a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. And so they tried to gain advantage through flattery. Flattery. Oh, you know, they say all these kind of flattering things. And, uh, you know, there's a difference between flattering somebody and paying them a compliment. You can compliment them or you can flatter them. And the difference is this: that flattery focuses on the flesh. Again, it draws the attention to empty things, fleshy things. But a compliment focuses on a person's character. And uh, and so you when you when you want to say something nice to somebody, you know, focus in on the character. Focus in on something a little bit more weighty than just how they look. Oh, you look great! I think there's a lot of that on Facebook, you know. <laughs> Don't I look great? You look great. You look beautiful. You look marvelous, darling. Right? I mean, you got all this, all this vanity. Just focus on... The Bible says beauty is vain. So the more you're into beauty, the more vain you are. Now, I don't mean don't be beautiful, and beauty isn't important, but, but just beware of being vain. See? Don't just focus on the outward adorning of things. Focus on the heavier, weightier things of the spirit. Uh, like the person's character. You got good taste for clothing. Uh, you got a good eye for this and you got a good eye for that you know focus more go a little bit deeper challenge yourself to go a little bit but deeper cuz flattery just gets people over in the flesh and then they get they get caught up in themselves and then they get snared and they get tripped up and you don't want to trip people up by just getting them all flesh minded all right verse 17 but beloved remember the words which were spoken there before by the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers when in the last time, who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. Again, what what did the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ want us? About? They want us about the last days. They want us about the end times. They want about the people of the last days. And uh, and they've told us. So he says, remember. Remember the words which were spoken. Now, here's, here's something you got to realize, because some of you are starting to drift on me. Listen to me. Remember the words that were spoken. There are some things that are being spoken tonight. There are some things that I've spoken in times past that might not seem to really matter to you at that moment. There's some things I'm saying right now, I know, a lot of it does apply to you right now and help you right now. But then there may be a whole lot of things that really don't seem to really matter to you at this moment. But remember them. Because God's not just thinking about now. Remember, He's been preaching about the end from the beginning. He's been telling us about stuff that hasn't yet happened yet. Why? So that we're ready. We're ready to face it in faith. We're ready to get the victory and overcome it. Even though it might seem like, I don't know, this message on Jude, it's okay, but it doesn't really seem to apply to me. Don't be deceived. Make sure you're taking in everything God is saying so that you can call it to your remembrance when the time comes when you really need it. Because you don't know what tomorrow holds, but God does. And I've got news for you. If the Spirit of God has led me to get into this, He knows what He's doing. He knows what you have need of. So don't drift. Pay attention and remember the words which were spoken. You should underline that in your Bible. Remember the words which were spoken. Verse 18, how they told you. They told you. You don't want to go through stuff, and then after it's all over, and you're devastated, you know, God says to you, I told you so. I told you so. But you see, you didn't pay attention. So let's make sure we get everything God's got for us. You know, many times Jesus said things to his disciples, and he knew he, they weren't getting it. Because it didn't, it didn't make sense to them at the moment. But he still said it to them. And there's an example of that over in uh, John chapter 2. John's Gospel, chapter 2, and in verse 21, it says, But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Maybe he's talking about tear the temple down, three days I'll rebuild it. He, speak, he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said these things to them, and what? And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. When he said it at the time, they thought, "What is he talking about? That don't seem to make any sense at all." But then after he rose from the dead, after three days, they went, oh, yeah. And they remembered what he said, and they got revelation of the Scripture, and their faith rose up. See? So, God's laying some traps for you, but they're blessing traps. All right? He's putting his word in you, and, uh, and it's blessing traps to go off at another time. And you'll just be walking around one day, and go, oh, oh. Oh, I see it. I see it. That's what the pastor was saying back there. What are you doing that series on Jude? I see it. Revelation rises up, and you just go out there and get the victory. Amen. Praise God forever. Blessing traps are being set up for you for the days ahead. Verse 19. These are sensual persons. He's still talking about these people of the last days that are surrounding us now all the time. These are sensual persons. What does that mean? That means fleshy, earthly, body-minded, body-ruled, worldly. Just all caught up in the world and worldly things and materialistic and flesh and their body and all these earthly nature. You know, thank God for nature. I love listening to the birds chirp And I appreciate nature. But there's some folks, I mean, nature is their God. I mean, they want to go out and worship a tree. It's very sad. They're, they're just earthy. They're earthy. And he says, these are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. You know, it's the Holy Spirit that unites us together. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to make your marriage work. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to cause relationships to work. It's the Holy Spirit. He's a unifier. He brings unity. He brings people together. You know, like I like to say, God, the Holy Spirit... Uh, He is in the adding and multiplying business. But the devil, he's in the subtracting and division business. He wants to take things from us and divide us. And there's people that are divisive. They are divisive. And they're in all walks of life, even in government. And they're divisive. They would have us, they would try to separate us, they make us focus on racism and, and things that get people suspicious of each other, you know. And don't get don't get closer than six feet for crying out loud. Watch that person. Divisive division. If you see your neighbor and he's doing something that he shouldn't be doing, like shaking someone's hand, oh man, you need to call this number. We've got this hotline. You need to call that phone number right away. Man, that's divisive. That's trying to get people suspicious of one another, afraid of one another. They're divisive. Why? They don't have the Spirit. Oh, no, they go to church. I know a lot of people in the book of Jude go to church. Read the whole chapter. They're divisive, not having the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that's a unifier. So if you want to bring unity into something, then uh, bring the Holy Spirit into it. Bring Him into it. Titus chapter 3, verse 10 tells us, Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. So they're constantly causing division. You speak the word to them. You come in the spirit of love. You come in the Holy Spirit and you look to help them, help to bring them understanding. But they just turn on you. They go and they di- they're divisive and they cause more problems and they're backbiters and slanderers. And, and so, you know, you maybe you, you try again get some other people, some elders in the church together, try to minister to the person, you know, and they just won't stop. They just keep slandering and, and they're divisive and they're always in strife. And, and, and you go to them it's two or three times. But no matter how much you try to help them in a spirit of love and in faith, they just can't stop being divisive. The Bible says you can know something for sure about that person. They're warped. They're warped. And that means what? That means probably they're not going to be able to be normal. So just let them go. Just let them go. And uh, I love how the Bible is so plain. It tells us you can know that person's warped. And know what? They're sinning. You can notice, a divisive person is sinning. What are they doing? I don't know exactly, but I know they're sinning. I know there's sin in their life if they're a divisive person. Isn't that something? And I think about 26 years of pastoring this church and all the people that have come, and they've tried to sow division and be, you know, try to cause problems and try to separate people from one another. And Of course, we see that in government leaders, and we see that, you know, all around, uh, you know, people in our society divisive, divisive. Well, guess what? We know something. They're sinning. We know that. And they're warped. The Bible tells us that. And they're self-condemned. They're living in condemnation. Verse 20, he goes on and says, But you, beloved, I love this, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So he's telling you, how, how do you overcome All these divisive, sensual, nasty, shameful people, especially those that have this form of godliness about them and try to pretend that there's something godly while at the same time they're a black hole just trying to draw people into the darkness with them. How do you escape it? Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Thank God for praying in the Holy Spirit. Well, what is praying in the Holy Spirit? Well, if you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and you look at verse 4, you'll see the same kind of language there as you see here in Jude 20. It says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Or that can also be translated, builds himself up. Jude verse 20. You, beloved, building yourselves up, praying in the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 14, 4. He who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. See, and speaking in tongues is also referred to in 1 Corinthians 14 as praying in the Spirit. All right? So we're praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. Listen, God knew The kind of times that we were going to be involved in in these last days. And that's why he made exclusive to this generation speaking in tongues. Nobody spoke in tongues under the old covenant. But under the new covenant, we can speak in tongues. We can be filled with the Spirit of God and speak in the Spirit. Speaking these mysteries. The Bible says that he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to God Uh, Excuse me, does not speak to men, for no one, no man understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. So speaking in tongues is speaking directly to God. Man doesn't understand it. It's a supernatural language. I'm, I'm so sorry that so many Christians have rejected the Holy Spirit, have rejected this amazing gift of speaking in tongues, But if we're going to make it in the last days like we're supposed to, not just exist, but I mean make it big, live big, and accomplish the plan of God, we need to be speaking in tongues. Because we're going to need to charge ourselves up, build ourselves up. For one, that we might not get sucked in to this black hole of sensuality and sin and sexual immorality. I'm telling you. The pull is going to get so great. The demonic strongholds are going to become so strong in these last days, like, like, a, a, like a, a huge undertow. If you go out and get, get out near it, you're going to get caught in it. You're going to get caught in it, and it's going to pull you out into that darkness. So we're not playing around with these things. We're keeping ourselves built up, praying in the Holy Spirit. He says, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Thank God His mercy endures forever. Have confidence in the mercy of God. Condemnation is a killer. You need to know if you missed it and you repent, He forgives you. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Have confidence in the mercy of God so you don't get weighted down with your sins. But you know that, you can, that when you repent, it's off of you. It's off of you. Move on. Keep yourself light on your feet. Don't get under condemnation. Keep yourself in the love of God. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 12, he says, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Again, talking about the last days and great tribulation and lawlessness. Because of all the lawlessness and the false prophets and all these things rising up in the land, the love of many will grow cold. Talking about believers. Their love's going to grow cold. But you, beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God. Take this serious. Keep yourself in the love of God. Don't let your love grow cold so that you turn away from the Lord and are a part of this great falling away or this great turning away from the Lord that the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, talks about it says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, the lawless one. The Bible says there's going to be this falling away. That word falling away, this words falling away, come from a Greek word apostasia. It means apostasy. It's where I get our English word apostasy. It's a turning away from the faith. A turning away from the Lord. Why? Because the love of many is going to grow cold. Not for you and I. Why? Because we're heeding what he says in Jude. And we're keeping ourselves in the love of God. How? Praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keeping the love of God that's been poured out into our hearts. Stirred up on the inside of us. Amen? Practice love. Judge the griping. Yield to the Spirit of God. Let Him bring unity. Stop fighting to get your way or try to straighten things out. You can't straighten it out. Let the Holy Spirit bring order and unity into the relationships. Let's look to him. Verse 22. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the... Hating, hate. Everybody say hating. Man, we need to be hateful. Hating what? Hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Let me read this from the Amplified Bible to you. uh, That verse 23. Save others snatching them out of the fire. What fire? The fire is a hell. He says, some have compassion. You know, be merciful and sweet to them. Others, no, no, no. Talk to them like you're Jude. Give it to them straight, man. Let them know they're going to hell. They need it. We're going to have to talk straight with some folks if we're going to get them saved. He says, save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy... With but with fear, loathing even the clothing spotted and polluted by their shameless immoral freedom. Loathe it, hate it. Let me give you a quick definition of the fear of God. You know what the fear of God is? Actually, the Bible defines it for you in Proverbs 8, verse 13. Proverbs 8:13 will tell you exactly what the fear of God is. You ready? The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. Mm. So look at that. The person that fears the Lord, they got a lot of hate in their heart. <sighs> they hate evil. That's that is the He says, the fear of the Lord is. He's, he's giving you a definition right now. Hate evil. Hate it. I mean, loathe it. Despise it. That means there's just no way we could play with it and have fun with it and enjoy it. Be entertained by it. Pride. Arrogance in the evil way and the perverse mouth. I hate. Don't talk perverse around me. I hate it. I hate everything that is anti-Christ, anti-God. That's good. That's the fear of God. That's the fear of God. So stir that up in you. Ask the Lord to help you. Lord, fill me with the fear of God. Let me be full of the fear of God so that I hate evil and won't allow it to have any place in my life. Finally, verse 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Let me just stop there. Here's the good news, friend. Some of you think, "Eh, there's a lot I've got to do. I'm kind of overwhelmed, pastor. I can't believe that, you know, I've got to, I mean, I've really got to straighten some things up. I mean, I'm really seeing a lot of areas of my life that fall short. Don't get your eyes on you. Don't turn into a black hole over this. You can't save yourself. You can't deliver yourself. That's why I just said, ask God for his fear. Ask God to help you. And put your faith in Him that He's the one that's able to keep you from stumbling. Lord, thank you for keeping me from stumbling. The reason why I'm not going to walk out and sin is because He keeps me. The reason why I'm not going to mess up and fall and, and turn away from Him is because He's keeping me. My faith is not in me keeping me. My faith is in Him keeping me. And that faith comes by knowing Him and knowing His Word. I get in the Word of God not to try to figure out what i got to do for myself. I get in the Word of God to get faith in God to do in me what it is He wants to do. To let Him work His good pleasure in my life. We're trusting Him. He's keeping me from stumbling. He's keeping me from falling. He's keeping me on the path of life. He's keeping you on the path of life. We're putting our trust in in him, Do you see that? That's so important. So important to making it in these last days. He's keeping us. He's protecting us from stumbling and helping to present us faultless before the presence of his glory. Can he make you faultless? I mean, you might look, I can't do it. Can he make you faultless? Glory to God. Yield to him. Look to him. Trust in him. He's doing it. Hallelujah. Stand before his glory with exceedingly great joy. Woo. Verse 25. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on. Let's praise him right now. Let's just magnify him right now. If you can, just stand up where you are. Let's just thank the Lord. Thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. We thank you so much for your word.